Take your Bibles this morning. 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, there in the New Testament. It's a letter Paul was writing to a preacher boy of his, a young man uh, named Timothy. He writes him two different uh, epistles here. But we're going to look at the first one this morning, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. We kick off a, a new sermon series here this morning that are going to, that's going to carry us uh, the next four weeks. The last week of the month is the church's 97th anniversary. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. Uh, that morning, we'll have uh, Dr. Wally Miller, pastor of Fairfield Baptist Church, uh, sorry, Bi- uh, Bible Baptist Church in Fairfield, Ohio. And uh, he's going to preach for us that morning and then Sunday night, and we'll have a revival that Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. Looking forward to that and uh, praying already that you would make plans to attend uh, that morning and then those three special evenings. But before then, we're going to look at this thought of faithful sayings, uh, faithful sayings. Would you stand with me this morning if you found it, First Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, I pray that you look on somebody next to you, they take a moment and share uh, the Word of God together with you, First Timothy chapter number 1. There in verse number 12, Paul writes, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Verse number 13, Who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all expectation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're looking at the subject matter of faithful sayings four different times. Uh, three times uh, to Timothy and one time to the preacher Titus. Paul will make that statement. He'll either start off by saying this is a faithful saying. Or he'll make a statement and say this is a faithful saying. Adding just a little extra emphasis. And this morning, I'd like to speak on this particular faithful saying here in Scripture. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us, the opportunity to have your word. And God, I'm so grateful that I have a copy of it and those here this morning have a copy of it. And thank you that we can come to it and it can be our guide in this life, a roadmap for us as we walk by faith. And we do pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would fill me as the preacher. But I recognize my inadequacy and I recognize my failures and my faults. And, and Father, I ask you that in spite of those, that this morning you'd use me to speak to hearts and lives. And I know this morning it's not me that's speaking, but it's your spirit speaking through me. And I do pray for each one of us here that your spirit would speak to our hearts and minds as well. Father, it's my prayer that if there's one this morning that does not know your son Jesus Christ as their personal savior, that this morning your son Jesus Christ would be lifted up. That, Father, he would have preeminence in this service. And that, Father, through a demonstration of power, would you call that person to a saving knowledge of him. 
Uh, God, we ask you this morning to do something special in our hearts and minds, and we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Life has uh, many truthful sayings, or many wise sayings. Uh, You've heard some that in many cases fall on uh, maybe a little bit more humorous of side. They're faithful sayings, they're wise sayings. Uh, This one, and maybe you've used it before, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. And uh, that is a very true statement. Uh, Here's one that maybe you've used, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, after you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. And uh, always a blessing. Here's a good one. If you lend somebody $20 and never see that person again, maybe that was a good investment. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get that one here in just a minute. Uh, here, here's one. The secret of success is knowing who to blame for your failures. Amen. Amen. We know that we know those types of people. Uh, always remember that you're unique and so is everybody else. Uh, and then uh, my favorite, and uh, I looked at probably 30 of these, but my favorite, uh, there are two theories to arguing with your wife. There's two theories to arguing with your wife and neither of them work. Uh, and there you go. In our text this morning, Paul, here in the book to Timothy, and then later to Titus, gives us four faithful sayings, trustworthy sayings, sayings that you can count on, sayings that you uh, can have faith that they will be true then and they will always be true. Four faithful sayings that were good for Paul's day and are also good for our day. Four faithful sayings that were true yesterday They are true still today, and they will always be true tomorrow. Now, it's important to remember this morning that any time God says something, it's truthful. Now, Jerry, thank you for uh, saying amen with me, but there should have probably been a few more on top of that. I said, any time, Brother Dave, that God says something to us in his word, it's truthful. Amen. Any time. Uh, We read in Titus chapter 1, in hope of eternal life, which God, which cannot lie. Isn't that good news? That God cannot lie to you? And so therefore we have the word of God and we know the word of God to be truthful. When we read the word of God, we can count on the things in the word of God to be true in our lives. We can count on them to be faithful. We can count on them to be trustworthy. But here in this particular passage, Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, asked Paul to put a little bit extra emphasis on the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the statement that he's going to make. And so Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation. Paul wants to draw our attention to this one particular truth. Maybe uh, he would say, "Uh, Timothy, you're going to hear a lot of things. And you're going to hear a lot of things that God has said, and, and Timothy... They're all true, but what I'm about to say, I just want to put a stamp on it. It is for sure trustworthy. I've proved it, Timothy. I know this statement to be faithful. And and Timothy, you might have a hard time accepting some things that you've heard from Scripture, but what I'm saying right now, Timothy, is worth your immediate uh, accepting. 
It's worth your, it's worthy of acceptation. It's worthy of you to say, yes, I'll take that. I will make it mine. Paul then gives one of the most basic and yet powerful doctrines. You could say the entire gospel in one sentence. The theme of the Bible in just nine words. Look there with me again at verse number 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this morning, for a few minutes, I'd like to draw your attention. I'd like to draw just a little bit emphasis to a few of the words that we find here in this faithful and true statement that's worth your immediate acceptance. First of all, this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to the action of Christ. It is found in the one word, came. Christ Jesus came. Christ Jesus came into this world. He did not stay in heaven to have pity on us and our sinful condition. He did not stay in heaven to be the judge of us. He did not stay in heaven to weep over us. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came. As Charles Spurgeon would write, he came into the world so far that he knew the world's griefs and bore them. The world's penalty, the world's shame, the world's reproach, the world's sickness, and the world's death. He came into the world, into the very center and heart of this ungodly world, and there he dwelt, holy, harmless, and undefiled. He saw our condition. He saw our sinful state. He saw the need that we had, and he acted upon it. I'm reminded of a song that I believe Miss Carla Likens, our church pianist, has sung behind this pulpit on numerous occasions. At the time of God's own choosing, he came. When we, the fight, were losing, he came. Long before we knew him, when we were lost in sin, at the right time, at the best time, he came. Now, it may be, You and I, I've been guilty of it at times. We've seen the state of somebody and we felt bad for the situation that they're in. Maybe there's been personal pity in in our hearts towards what they're going through or the difficulty they're facing or the trial that they have. We feel bad for them. But there's something different about feeling bad for somebody and then acting upon that feeling. It's a wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. He had compassion. Say, Pastor Frost, what is compassion? It's, it's in action. It's, it's an action. He not only saw us, but he did something about it. He came to the world. We see his action, he came. 
And then second of all, we see the reason for his coming. It's summed up in two words. Look there with me. Christ Jesus came into the world to, what's that next word? Save. To save. Jesus did not come to give you financial freedom. Though we desire financial freedom. That's not why he came. Jesus did not come to keep you from every trial that you're ever going to face. We desire for him to walk through us in trials, but he didn't come just to keep you from trials. Jesus Christ did not come to make you more comfortable in this life. Christ Jesus did not come to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, as some might say. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's a great thing to be a Christian. It's the best thing that I know. But Jesus Christ did not come to give you your best life now. He came to give you your best life later. He came to save you. Not to save you from your earthly condition, but to save you from your eternal condition. Two completely different things. For the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the gift of God is eternal life, heaven, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the disciples couldn't understand why he had to die. They were waiting for him to save them from Roman oppression, the Roman authority. They were waiting for him to set up an immediate kingdom. They were waiting for him to make things right around them. In Matthew 21, I read it not that long ago, the crowd lines the streets, uh, waving palm branches and casting their coats down before as Jesus is led on the back of a donkey and the people are there in the streets crying, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! The word Hosanna means save now. They were not saying Hosanna or save us from our sins. No, they thought Jesus was going to raise himself up as king. Now, by the way, he did raise himself up as king. Just a little different king than they were looking for. Saying, they were saying, save us from uh, the slavery that we find ourselves in. Save us from Roman oppression. Save us from Roman taxes. Save us from the government that's lording over top of us. But Jesus Christ came for a little different reason. They were not looking for eternal salvation. They were looking for physical deliverance. By the way, though his disciples misunderstood it, and the crowds uh, and the people around missed it, He was not trying to hide the purpose of his coming. He said in Matthew 18, verse number 11, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. On another occasion, he said there in John chapter 12, verse number 46, I am come as light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. To Nicodemus. There, as we read the account of 
him and Nicodemus in John chapter number three, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to help you so you could save yourself. He didn't come to save a part of you so you could finish saving the rest of you. Maybe you're here this morning and you think salvation is a good combination of your faith and your works. A good combination of your works and his grace. And they say this morning, because I love you, I want to tell you, you're misled. You cannot be saved with one foot on self and the other foot on the Savior. You cannot be saved with one foot on faith and one foot on works. Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Scripture really could not be any more clear. You don't get yourself saved. You don't keep yourself saved. You don't earn your salvation. And that's great news because that also means when you get it, you can't lose your salvation. Not of yourselves, it is a gift. It is a gift. Maybe you're in the habit of giving gifts. It's always a blessing to get a gift. It's always a blessing to give a gift. I share this so many times as I'm walking through the gospel with somebody about this particular thought. God's word says eternal life is a gift through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, For those of you who don't already know, I got four kids. My wife and I, we have Krista, nine, Tyler, seven, Zach is three, and then Brayden is one. You'll know Zach, he's the only three-year-old walking around with a big red dot on his forehead, and uh, he likes running into walls. Uh, Yesterday, it was a door, face first, pop. Could you imagine, what type of dad would I be if Christmas morning, my kids came down all excited to open up a few Christmas gifts, and I said, wait, 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 wait. Now, I I know my mom and I, or Santa, spent some, uh, we got you some things. There's some things under the tree for you. They're gifts for you, and I can't wait for you to open these gifts, but I'll be honest with you. They were a little bit more expensive than I thought they were going to be this year. And so, Krista, I'd like you to go up to your piggy bank, and I need a couple dollars. Now, mind you, Krista, it's going to be a good deal. I mean, what's in those gifts are far more than what uh, I'm, I'm giving, uh, than what you're going to give me. I mean, what's in those gifts? I mean, those are some nice gifts, Krista. I know you haven't seen them yet, uh, but if you'll trust me, if you'll give me a little bit, I'll, I'll give you the rest of it and you can have this gift. What kind of a dad would I be? And what kind of a heavenly father would God be? If it was, I have a gift for you, but 
oh, hold on a second, I need you to attend church every week to get it. I've got a gift for you, but you need to clean some things up in life before you can receive it. I've got a gift for you, but let me just let you know, if at any time you do something against me, I'm taking it back from you. That's not the case of our Heavenly Father. And that's not the definition of a gift. A gift is free. A gift is not earned. A gift is not paid for. A gift is an expression of love. Jesus Christ came into the world to save, to save. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, I know many who are trying to find salvation. They're trying to find eternal life through uh, many different modes. By placing their faith in a person, by placing their faith in a religion, by placing their faith in themselves and their self-righteousness. But let me remind you this morning what scripture says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. To save. Who did he come for? Number three, I want to draw your attention to what this faithful saying, worthy of your accepting, tells us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. By the way, this is good news. Because that's all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ came in the world to save all types of sinners. Proud sinners, hopeless sinners, rich sinners, poor sinners, drunkards, thieves, liars, fornicators, adulterers, murderers, and everything else that would be considered a sin. Now one might say, but Pastor Frost, I'm, I'm not a sinner like so-and-so. Yet you've still sinned. Their sin might not be your sin. But your sin is probably not their sin. But, but they have sinned this way. But you have sinned that way. And in the end, we are all sinners. This morning, would you like to know the first and most important qualification for being a child of God? Pastor Frost, I want to be a child of the King of Kings. I want to be a child of God. All right, here it is. The very first and most important qualification. Matter of fact, if you don't have this one, you cannot be saved. You cannot be a child of God. 
you must be a sinner. Woo! Hey, we're there, right? Yes, that's me. As a matter of fact, you can't come to a savior without realizing first that you are in need of the savior. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners are not disqualified from coming to God because of their sin. Because that is exactly why Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save sinners. Not living underneath an illusion of their own self-righteousness. That was the Pharisees. The Gospels, Christ didn't spend much time with them. Because they were self-righteous. They were not in need of a savior. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees criticized him from it, for it, for it. There in Matthew chapter number nine, the Bible says, and when the Pharisees saw that, that Jesus sat down with publicans and sinners, they said to the disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And then he tells these self-righteous people, go and learn what that meaneth. He goes to say, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If there's any of you this morning that would dare say that you've never sinned, well then, you don't need to listen to me this morning. You can tune me out. I don't have anything to say to you, and neither does the Bible have anything to say except to tell you that you are in a terrible error and a great delusion. There can be no mercy for one who has committed no fault. For I am come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It is God's great show of love and mercy that he is willing to save us in spite of our sin. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You say, Pastor Frost, I do know that I'm a sinner. That is a wonderful place to start. Uh, there's always one who might say, but Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Pastor, you don't know how far into sin I really am. I, I don't know if Christ could save me. Pastor Frost, I don't know if I'm worthy of that saving. I hear what you say. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, but I don't know if he was talking about the sinner that I am. Fourthly, this morning, and lastly, I want you to notice the extent of the sinner in which he will save. The extent of the sinner in which he will save. Paul writes, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of, look what it says, verse number 15, whom I am chief. 
The Holy Spirit knew that there would be a sinner hearing this verse and think to themselves, I don't know if Jesus could save me. Maybe I've gone too far for the Lord's mercy, or maybe I've fallen too short for the Lord's grace. The Holy Spirit allows Paul to give just a quick testimony of whom I am chief. Not bragging about his sin, not making light of his sinful condition. There in verse number 13 of chapter 1, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul, giving his testimony before King Agrippa there in Acts chapter number 26, says this, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, in which also I did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul says, of whom I am chief. Paul says, my early ambition was to do everything I could against the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I was a blasphemer myself. And worse yet, by force, by imprisonment, and by torture, I asked others to blaspheme the name of Christ. Paul says, I chased, I persecuted, and I killed followers of Christ. But this is a trustworthy saying. It's a faithful saying. Look there with me at verse number 14. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse number 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause? For what cause? The fact that Jesus Christ came to save. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what Paul was saying? Exactly what the choir just sang. I have been changed. I was a persecutor, I was a blasphemer, I imprisoned, I killed, I caused others to blaspheme, but because of this faithful saying, how be it for this cause, I obtained mercy. Three quick thoughts this morning and I'll close. Number one. If you're in here this morning, you've never experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. Christ came to save you as well. Pastor, me? Yes, you. I'm so grateful for that day I stood as a young man there in the front of a classroom and placed my faith not in church, not in my parents' righteousness, not in my righteousness, 
not in the works that I had done or would do, but I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And by grace and his abundant mercy, I was saved. And I'm still saved. It wasn't me to begin with. And so therefore, I can't mess it up in the end. If you're not saved this morning, Jesus came to save you. Number two, you've not gone past God's grace to save. You personally say, Pastor Frost, but you don't know. It doesn't matter whether I know or not. Paul says, of whom I was chief. Paul says, go ahead and put your record up against mine. I don't know about you. I don't want that record at the judgment seat of Christ. If Paul could obtain mercy, and let me say, my friend, you can obtain mercy. Number one, Jesus Christ came to save you. Number two, you've not gone past God's grace to save. And number three this morning, you've not gone past God's grace to serve. You've not gone past God's grace to serve. I love how, Christ, I love how Paul started this. He says, I thank my Lord counting me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a wonderful truth? Paul says, who was a blasphemer, who was a persecutor, who injured other Christians, who persecuted other people. Jesus Christ saved me, but Jesus Christ also placed me in the ministry. He had a place for me to serve. Let me say to those who have already been saved this morning, Jesus Christ has a place for you to serve. You've not gone too far for him to use you. This is a faithful saying. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. I'll end with a quote by John Newton. You've never read the story of John Newton. You need to take time to read it. A wicked, vile man. As you read his story, I think there's one particular part that just shows you how evil John Newton was. They're in a storm, and John Newton is washed overboard. He's a leader on on the ship. He's knocked overboard and there in the waves he's asking to be rescued. And instead of sending a boat or throwing ropes or any other thing that you could do to try to rescue John Newton, the people there on the boat took a harpoon and shot him through the leg and pulled him up. I don't know if I could do that to my enemies. That's how disliked John Newton was. A wicked, vile man who, by the way, towards the end of his life, gave us one of the most popular gospel songs, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The end of John Newton's life, there the last week, he made this statement Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and he 
is a great Savior. Let me say this morning, if you're in need of a Savior, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners.